God comes to us in various levels of revelation. And so I'm mindful that whenever I preach, that there are three particular levels of revelation that God reveals to his church. And uh, they're seen obviously in, in the story of Noah, and I've got a picture of the ark. And if you haven't got this book, The Gospel According to Noah, this book is really a great book to give you an understanding of how the Godhead works in the life of a believer. A lot of Christians don't understand the work of God and the layers of revelation that he takes you through on your journey. And so most Christians stay on the first level. And uh, I, I th- there are three levels, and I'm going to be talking from the third level today, but I want to, un- to explain this to you that God comes to you in three different ways. On the first level, it's what Jesus has done for you. So the first level, you get a revelation that Jesus paid for your sin. He dealt with the debt of sin and he forgave you of all your sins. We get a revelation of the work of Jesus for me. It's what God does for me. That's the first level. If you don't get that, you can't progress. So when I preach, I preach And I've done this in our church. I preach from three different levels. And in fact, we've done that systematically over the last eight years. We've built from one level to the next to the next. But whenever you're in a a church service, you need to ask yourself, what level is this person preaching to me from? So the first level is what Jesus has done for me. So if if you've never been born again, that's the first thing you've got to find out is what did God do for me through Jesus at the cross? And if you don't know that, you're not born again. You haven't received forgiveness of your sins. So it's what Jesus has done for me. And the second level is what Jesus now does in me. For me and now in me. So it's the work of transforming me, uh, my mind, my will and my emotions. It's the work of transformation. So I get born again, I find out what God has done for me. Now I'm finding out what God is doing in me. He is transforming the way I think, feel and choose. The third level is what God does through me. So what God does for me, in me and now through me. That's the third level. That's the third level of the ark is where we partner with God in shaping all of history. John put it this way, he prayed, he talked about three levels, young uh, children, I pray for you children because your sins are being forgiven, then he talks about young men who have overcome and the word of God is in that they found a degree of victory in their own life, the word of God has revealed who they are and then he prays about fathers who, who, who have known God from the beginning, so the fathers have got an eternal perspective of what God has done in the past, present and the future. They are partnering with God in all of eternity. Are you seeing this? We see that right through scripture. You know, I've talked to you about the tabernacle. It's the same thing as you go from the outer court to the holy place to the holy of holies. There is a greater degree of revelation of Jesus. It's the same Jesus seen in deeper dimensions. So that's why you can come to church and some people go, oh, that was just over my head. Well, it may be if, and, and this, is not, this is not a ranking system. This is just called growth. Okay, A child is loved the same as a son or a father. But there are dimensions that we enter into. And so sometimes when we just come into the kingdom, we're, we're feasting at the first level, but God wants to take us from glory to glory to glory. Not just about what God has done for us. Okay, we, we rejoice in that, that he's forgiven our sins. But then we want to embrace this part of personal transformation so we can then go and partner with God. Ask, seek, and knock. It's easy to ask for forgiveness. Today, if you've never asked Jesus into your life, ask. Ask him. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. So if you don't ask Jesus that basic thing, if you don't ask him to forgive you, then you're on your own. You're, you're, you have to pay the debt of your sin. And there's a place called hell where that debt is paid forever, on and on. Never, 
never fulfilled. So the fire always burned because the debt's never paid. But it was consumed once and for all on Jesus. So you ask for forgiveness. And if you've never done that, now's your opportunity. Ask him in. Forgive me. Come into my life. Ask. It's easy. It's all his work and none of yours. It's all of grace. Seek. That's a bit harder. Where we begin to press in and begin to wrestle with the lies that we have accumulated about who we are and who God is. We have to begin to seek the word and let it transform us. That requires effort on your behalf. And a laying down of our agenda for his agenda. Knock is a whole lot harder. It's persistence. It's warfare. It's silence. And if you haven't developed an identity through the seeking, when it comes to the knocking, you'll be taken out. Because you will think that the delays of God are a reflection of his love for you rather than the act of spiritual warfare. Are you getting the difference? So you have to be consumed in a revelation of your identity so you can enter into warfare and the very, the very friction of warfare does not harm your identity. That's why Jesus could go through the wilderness and encounter the enemy and come out victorious because he was established in his identity. So ask, seek, knock. These are the levels. Is that making sense? I think it's John that said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin because we get this revelation that we need a saviour. Of righteousness because when we get born again, we need to discover and get right thinking about who God is and who we are. And of judgment because then we partner with God in bringing judgment to all the systems of the enemy over society. Ask, seek, and knock. These are layers of revelation. And so when it comes to an appointed time with destiny, I'm asking you today to come up with me to this level. You say, well, I've only been saved for a day. Well, there's no time frame in the levels. You can go from one to the other. You can begin to say, Holy Spirit, you are the one of revelation. Show me your agenda. See, our prayer begins to mature when we focus not on just our agenda. This is a song of Solomon where, where the bride goes from her agenda to running with his agenda. Show me what's on your heart for the nations. Not my opinions, but what's your opinion? I want to partner with you. Does anyone else want to do that? Cool. So have you got Ephesians 1.10? It says his goal was to carry out his plan. God has a plan. I know when you look at the news, it looks like there is no plan, but God has a plan. Thank God for that. For when the right time came, that all things... So God has a plan and he has a time. That all things in heaven, in heaven and on earth would be joined together. There's a coming together of the purposes of heaven and earth. And that would be summed up in Christ as the head. That's God's plan. The bringing together of heaven and earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has a plan and he's about to administer the greatest display of justice that's ever been seen. You see, you need to understand this about God, that, that he is a God of justice. And Hebrews 11 says there's a crowd of witness that have paid the ultimate price. The Bible says that one who sows and one who reaps, they will rejoice together. And much has been sown in the kingdom. The enemy has, as it seemed, had a field day, but God stores this up in the cup of his wrath. And he will display his justice over all the systems. And God will exact pure revenge on the enemy. And you will see today that he's beginning to circle the enemy and it's getting tighter and tighter on the enemy. The enemy's gasping for breath right now because God is about to move. The Bible says when a thief is caught, he has to repay seven times. So I know that in my day right now, we are about to see restoration sevenfold like never before. Everything that's gone before us, all the saints, all the people that their lives were cut short, it's all going to be restored in this day because that's the way God works. 
the, the scales of justice must be man. This is more than just about you. See, that's what fathers do. They know the one, the one who's been from the beginning. They get a picture of what God is doing because of the past, the present, and the future. So have you got Joshua 5.13? When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked. And there was a man opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to the man and he said, Are you for us or against us? And he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. It's a coming together of heaven and earth. Joshua didn't need another soldier to battle with him on earth. He needed heaven to engage with him. A coming together of the purposes of heaven and earth. So Joshua fell on his face and he worshipped and said, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said, Take off your, your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand, it is holy. And Joshua did so. So we are in this same hour where we are about to transition from the old into the new. And our shoes are going to be, have to be taken off because they represent the old way of doing things, the old paradigms, the old mindsets. I was listening to Benny Hinn uh, on, I think it was on Periscope, he was in his car, and he said yesterday that we are right on the border of the old passing and the new coming. There is the greatest shift in the spirit realm about to occur. And he said to the saints, it is not the time to give up. Did you hear that? It is not the time to give up because we are right on the edge we need to take our shoes off because God's about to transition the church from yesterday into a new day. And it's very difficult because when you've only known yesterday, what's a new day look like? But this is what God is saying. Get ready. Now, verse 1 of Joshua 6. Now, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. No one went out and nobody came in. Let me tell you something. It may not appear like this, but the enemy is in lockdown mode. I just thought I'd let you know. Does that interest anybody? He's in lockdown mode. Well, it doesn't look like it. He is in lockdown mode. When they went into the promised land, they came back with this revelation that the enemy was more afraid of them than they were of the enemy. They were petrified because they knew what God had done in the past. The enemy knows more about the victories of your past than often you do. He has the cross in mind when you appear. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. See, the difference between the way we see our future is just whether we will see with eyes of faith or whether we will look with eyes of the natural. It says, see, I've given it to your land. You will march around the city, all you men of war, you'll go around the city once. Then you will do it for six days. They will march around the city. And seven priests will bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you will march around the city seven times. And the police, the, the priest shall blow the trumpet. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people will shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city, this wall was so big and so wide that nobody in the past had been able to break it down. Forty feet high and wide enough for eight chariots to ride side by side. And he says, you will surround the city. You will encircle it for six days, once each day. And on the seventh day, you will encircle it seven times. And then you will shout with a great shout, and the wall will fall down flat. And the people will go up, every man straight before him. I want you to know that the enemy was being slowly strangled. Did you hear that? As they encircled Jericho, what was happening is like a python. Bit by bit, the screws were being put on the enemy. And that's what's happening today. Every day, 
that transpires, the enemy is being slowly but surely strangled. That's what's taking place. My friend, when you have a problem and you circle it with the presence of God, you strangle that problem. And it's the same thing happening in the wider perspective that as the church worships and praises and shouts unto the Lord, we are slowly but surely strangling that sucker. They couldn't see it because, you know, they would walk around the city. Everything looked the same in the natural. But for those that had eyes to see, they could see that something was beginning to happen with the wall. When they dug up that wall, they noticed that the wall hadn't fallen down. It collapsed. And this is what was happening as they circled the wall. The enemy's power was being broken. And our problem, our challenge is to see with eyes of faith. Because it looks like the enemy has resisted all of our attempts. And so we quit on the sixth day rather than to obey the Lord and continuing to march until you get your breakthrough. Is anybody hearing this? Thirteen times they circled that sucker. Thirteen times. Do you know what thirteen means in the Bible? In Genesis, the first time thirteen is mentioned, it is in connection to the word rebellion. Thirteen times they circled the enemy who'd been rebellious. The enemy is a rebellious being. And they encircled rebellion. And they encircled rebellion until it was broken. Now, I want you to see that this story is not just an historical fact, as it is. But this story is giving you insight into what God has planned for all of history. That's what it's about. It's so much bigger than what you and I see. This story of the march around Jericho unpacks God's plan from the beginning of time to the end. Verse 15 of Joshua chapter 6. And it says that it came to pass on the seventh day. What day? I'll explain this to you in a minute. On the seventh day, they arose when? Early. So in the beginning of the seventh day, something begins to happen. Not at the end But they got up extremely early on the seventh day. And they marched around the city how many times? Seven times in the same manner. It was at the dawning of the day, they get up and they begin to march seven times. And on the seventh time it happened that when the priests blew the trumpets and the people shouted, the walls came down. See, the seventh day... Don't get too worried about this because I will explain. On the seventh day, there is an acceleration of the purposes of God. Are you getting this? Six days, they circle at once. On the seventh day, something begins to speed up in the realm of the spirit. Isaiah 60 verse 22, listen to what it says. The smallest one, who feels like they're small today? The smallest one will become a thousand. And the least one will become a mighty nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. So God says, when the time's right, I will do a quick work. And I will take people that feel like they're nobody and I'll make them like a nation. I'll take the smallest in the congregation and I'll make them like a thousand. I will expand your capabilities at the right time. There will be an acceleration. And that's what God is doing in the church right now. On the seventh day, they would march seven times and the victory would be theirs. This is a blueprint of all of history. The Genesis account, as you know, seven days is a picture of all of history. 2 Peter 3.8 says, A day in the Lord's calendar is like a thousand years. It's interesting that on the sixth day, man is created... And at the completion of the sixth day, man is given absolute dominion. This is a picture of the church. Over what? Over the earth, the fish of the waters, the birds of the air, and the cattle on the ground. 
So that tells me that the church is going to have a place of great leadership amongst the people, authority over principalities, and great multiplication with possessions. That's what those three things are. And they're seen in the Ark of the Covenant. They're seen everywhere. And on the sixth day leading to the seven, the church is given a revelation that's called to lead people, have authority over principalities, and, and administer all the possessions of the world. Amen. This is the sixth day leading to the seventh. Are you seeing this? We are entering, like Joshua, the beginning of a new dawn called the seventh day, where there's an acceleration of the purposes of God. So as you see here, this is the Genesis week. Four days from Adam to Jesus, it's the former reign. And then three days from Jesus into the seventh day, which is the day that we now live, which is the latter reign, the former and the latter reign. So the latter reign goes from Jesus right up to where we are now. And now we're promised in the seventh day that we get both the former and the latter reign together, a double portion of the Holy Ghost for this seventh day. The four days, the former day is a picture of the earth. The three days so, uh, is a picture of heaven. It's earth and heaven coming together. The seven days of God and the three days of Jesus. They are one and the same. They mean the same throughout scripture. And so that tells me if I study what the three days of Jesus are and what the seven days of God are, I can see what God has planned for the seventh day when we are going to accelerate in our movement around the enemy. Are you hearing this? Yeah. Woo. Isn't it interesting that it's now 5777? And in that picture, we see all the sevens, which is a picture of being in the seventh day. And when I looked at that, I thought, and the other interesting thing about there's three sevens. We see the sevens and the threes. They both point towards this, this seven-day church, the church coming out of the, the latter rain into an expression of both the former and the latter. That's called acceleration. Is anybody getting this? This is the hour that the church is in. This is Joshua's seventh day, stepping out of the sixth. It was just like... Going to sleep and waking up and everything just accelerated from once around Jericho, now seven times. Are you getting this? It's just asleep. It's just waking up with a new view. It's just understand that we're stepping now into a whole new dimension. And the challenge is, is as we step into that dimension, there are some who are saying, I can't see anything. Step anyway. Because this is what God is. If I'm sure about anything, I'm sure about this, that the church is about to step into the seventh day of the accelerated purposes of God and we are going to strangle the works of the enemy. That should excite somebody. So we call this the Genesis week. The seven days of God, they accumulate or they finish on the seventh day, but it's also the third day of Christ. Jesus speaks about that a lot. On the third day, I'll rise again. It's right through the scripture. I spoke to you about ask, seek, and knock. It's the generation of the people that know how to knock. They know how to do warfare because they've established their identity. I don't think there's ever been a time that I can read about or understand where the church has had the fullness of the revelation of what you're getting right now. I don't mean to sound proud. But this is the truth. The church has not had this revelation before. And you are a holy, privileged people. You will stand before Jesus and he will say to you, you heard it all. And what did you do with it? Previous generations, they may have had the first level. They understood they were forgiven. They may have even began to understand that God wanted to change their identity. But they've never come into the fullness of what you now possess in your hands. There are no more excuses for this generation. It's the third day. It's the acceleration of God's purposes. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, what's he known as? He's, he's the father of our faith, the revelation of justification by faith. Isaac, he's known as the revelation of sonship. 
Jacob, his name is changed to Israel, which means one who will, like a prince who will rule with God. Are you getting this? It's the expression of the third day. Salvation, sonship, spiritual dominion. Matthew 13, 33, there's a lot of threes in that. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and mixed in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And that's what the Holy Ghost has been doing for three days, mixing the gospel in its fullness until the church looks like Jesus, 30, 60, and 100 fold. An acceleration. Hmm. It was on the third day that God called Moses up onto the top of the mountain and that what blew the trumpets. Da-da-da! And he got a revelation of the tabernacle, which is you and I. Outer court, holy place, holy of holies. He got a revelation of the third day on top of the mountain, of the third day church. Listen to this. Do you remember when the disciples go fishing after Jesus dies? They go fishing because they're so discouraged. Now, did you know that that whole story is about the third day church and about the acceleration of God's purposes? Because it's the third time that Jesus reveals himself to his disciples. John 21 tells us that. And it's the seventh time that he revealed himself after his resurrection. And you read this story in John 21, and they're fishing and they haven't caught anything. And Jesus says, why don't you try fishing on the right side? He's causing his church to think right. You've had all these years of unfruitfulness. I'm going to change the way. I'm going to teach you how to think rightly. And so they fish And they catch how many fish? 153. Do you know in the Hebrew language that every number, every word, every letter has a number? And do you know what 153 represents in the Hebrew language? The sons of God. They were getting a revelation in the third day that God is about to bring in a harvest of people that look exactly like Jesus, the sons of God in their fullness. And, and even though the net was so full, it didn't break. God's not going to lose one of you. He's going to bring you all, all in. He's going, to, he's going to nurture you. He's going to make you ready. And so they get up out of the boat and they come and they sit with Jesus around the fire. And what does Jesus do? He speaks to Peter. And he begins to restore him. He says, Peter, do you love me? And how many times is he asking that question? Three Three times. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Peter is a picture of the church. And he says, you know what? For the three days that the church will exist, I want the shepherds to care for my church. And Peter says to Jesus, well, what about John? Because Jesus goes on to say that, you know, you're going to go through some hard times, Peter. And Peter says, what about John? And what was Peter saying? What about the third day church? Because when they went up into the Mount Transfiguration, who went? Peter, James, and John. And John is a picture of the third day church. And Peter says, what about John? And Jesus says, what is it to you if he remains alive? You see, that's the third day church. It's going to be alive and well when Jesus comes. John is a picture of the third day church. He's caught up on the, on the Lord's day, the seventh day, and he gets a revelation of all of the church. Is it interesting that there's only one man in the Bible that has three epistles? Who's that? John. And the third epistle is an outworking of the third day church. And it begins like this. Beloved, I pray that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So God's revealing through John that the third day church, which is you and I, are going to have a revelation about prosperity that no other generation's ever had. You read on what 3 John says. There's going to be a revelation of the faithfulness of the church to the Father. We'll take care of the strangers and the widows. We'll have a revelation of truth and we will see him face to face before he comes. 
It's all there. There's an acceleration on the third day. Does this excite anybody? <laughs> so turn with me to John, sorry, Joshua 6.15. It came to pass on the seventh day, what day? They rose early about the dawning of the day and they marched around the city seven times. Are you ready to run? See, God expects the seventh day church or the church in the seventh day or the third day church means both the same. This church, the church in this present hour to run faster than any other generation. And that's why a spirit of stupor will come and sleep. That's why the Bible says, awake, O sleeper. And rise from the dead and God will give you light. That's why, that's why the enemy knows what's about to happen. There's going to be an acceleration. And he wants, this, this is a spirit that comes or tries to attack the church. Discouragement, disillusionment, apathy. Why? Because the enemy works in the opposite spirit that what God wants to pour out on the church. So shake yourself from apathy, from discouragement and begin to run. Forerunners are made for running. Zacchaeus couldn't get to Jesus because the crowd blocked the view of Jesus. That's religion that wants to confine Jesus to level one revelation and not the fullness of the kingdom where we will reign with him on earth. They blocked that view. So what did Zacchaeus do? He ran ahead and got a higher view. And you've got to do the same. If there's any, any, any symptom of sleep, any symptom of apathy, you need to shake that off and rebuke it in the name of Jesus and do something even physically to get yourself out of that stupid spiritual stupor that's upon you. Pray in the Holy Ghost. When I get apathetic and tired and discouraged, I know that probably shocks you, but it happens regularly. I begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, building up my faith. Keeping myself in the love of God. You begin to stir yourself up. And it's not too long before I begin to run again in the Holy Ghost. You need to do the same. Because of what God's looking for runners in this hour. You've got to go around Jericho seven times. You've got to get, you've got to get fit in the Holy Ghost. There's no time for, for apathy or self-pity or disillusionment. You've got to get over that. That was, that was taken care of in the second level. You've got your identity fixed up. And it's okay for new believers to come in and get an overhaul and go into God's garage pit and get a makeover. But when you've been born again for years, God's saying it's time to run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. So on that day, they marched around the city seven times and the seventh time the priest blew the trumpet and the people shouted. I'm saying today, the church again needs to find its voice to blow the trumpet and to shout together in unison. We're going to break off this apathy. I don't care if you're 80 years old or 10 years old. God's looking for people in this hour that are passionate about the kingdom. They're not saying, this is going to change. Stop that language and begin to get eyes of faith that says, God, with you, all things are possible. This wall ain't seeming to shift. It's the same wall on the sixth day. But you know what? We're just going to ramp it up. We're going to run around it seven times today. And we're going to continue to blow the trumpet. As they went around the wall, they blew the trumpet constantly. Blow the trumpet. Moses' generation failed. Not Moses, but his generation. Because... The Bible says they were disobedient and they complained. But in Joshua's generation, they were obedient and they kept silent. Because Moses' generation didn't realize the power of their spoken word to bring God into this situation. And they constantly complained. So God got his people ready to align their voices with heaven. And being silent is a picture of leaving behind the negativity of the previous generation that says it'll never change. It'll always be the same. Nothing ever is going to work. So God says, I'm going to put you on a fast of silence from doubt and unbelief. 5777. Seven is the number or the word zayan. It means weapon or sword in your mouth. The word becomes a weapon, a sword. We blow the trumpet 
The trumpet is a picture of the prophetic word of the Lord. We begin to prophesy the purposes of God. And I know this may not make sense to you, but if the church would begin to blow the trumpet constantly as they circle the enemy, the walls will come down. If we were able to accumulate all the words that are coming out of the mouths of God's people, would it represent the Moses generation or the Joshua generation? Because you need to understand there's great power in the words that come out of your mouth. Yeah, it's just the word. No, it's not just the word. Because by the word of God, everything that we see was created. That nothing was not created that didn't come out of the mouth of God. And the Holy Ghost hovered over the world, waiting for God to speak Jesus and the Holy Spirit to take the word and make life out of it. And as we speak as a church, as we blow the trumpet, as we accelerate with the purposes of God, the walls will come down. There's great power in your words. My words give Bring order to disorder and they give God something to work with. God is waiting for the words of his people in praise and worship. That's why it is an injustice to come to church and not worship. If you don't worship, the rocks will cry out. You are a rock. What an injustice that a rock would have to cry out because you won't open your mouth. So we begin to worship God. We begin to pray over our city. We look over our city and we say, Satan, you no longer own this city. Jesus won it at Calvary. Our job is to restore the desolate places. This city belongs to Jesus. Go, well, that's just words. No, my friend, it's not just words. It is releasing the purposes of heaven. Earth and heaven coming together. The former and the latter reign together. A double anointing. There is great power now in the mouths of God's people to bring down the enemy. Listen to this. For six days, the church has prophesied the demise of the enemy. And we, the seventh day church, we get the opportunity of doing more than all the six days before us. And all their prophetic words, all their prayers, all their labors, they're being heaped up in a bowl, in a book of the Lord. And we begin to prophesy, it's not just about you. You are releasing generations before you to flow through your words. So why do you think it's just about you? You're a mouthpiece for six days. So what will be prophesied on this seventh day? I'm glad you asked. Because Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12, he had insight. He wrote down on a book what you and I would begin to prophesy in this hour. Do you remember in Daniel 12, 3? He says, those who have insight will shine brightly. That's you and I. We're going to have so much revelation in these days. And they will lead many to righteousness. They will be like the stars forever and ever. But he says, Daniel, I want you to conceal these words, store them up in a book, seal them until the end of time where many at that time will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. What's Daniel being told? He's saying, in that seventh day, the church is going to go back and forth up to the throne of God, begin to get insight into the mysteries of the kingdom, God's plan for the end time church, God's plan to suffocate the enemy. And he's saying to Daniel, you seal this up because there's coming a day where the knowledge of God's purposes for all of creation, for his church is going to be unveiled in its entirety. The mysteries of Christ will be revealed. You are hearing things today that the church has never heard before. Not just from me and other preachers, but God is pouring out revelation to those that have hungry hearts. Like never before. He says it to Daniel, not for your day, but there's coming a day. On the seventh day, I'm going to unlock the mysteries of heaven. So in Revelation 5, there is a book, that same book, in the hand of the Father. And he's sitting on the throne. And there's no one found worthy to unlock this book. John weeps. They said, the angel says to John, don't weep. Because there's one found worthy to unlock this book. The seals of the book. And his name is Jesus. 
He was found worthy. And the four and twenty, the creatures, they bow down and they worship the one who was worthy. Because this book is a revelation not just of Jesus and his majesty, but it's a revelation of his work on the cross for all of creation. It's a revelation of Jesus for his end time church. It's the summation of all of the days of history. And only Jesus is worthy to unlock it because it's in him. All the mysteries of the kingdom are hidden in him. This book is him. He unlocks it. And in that book, when it's unlocked, they pray this, they sing this song that he is worthy. Listen to this, to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. When this book is unlocked, all those seven facets are going to be revealed on the planet before he comes again. And he will come in the heavens with a sound of a trumpet, with a loud, large, loud shout. And the dead in Christ will be raised. But before that day happens, this book will be unleashed, unlocked, and those seven dimensions of Jesus will be seen on planet Earth. Are you getting it? And you and I have the privilege of going up and down and accessing the mysteries of the kingdom. God's looking for somebody. Is there anyone that's interested in what God has? He's saying, I want someone to partner with. That's what the, the angel said to Joshua. I haven't come to take sides. I've come to partner. Heaven and earth coming together. The former and the latter reign. An acceleration of my purpose. So, this book is given to an angel. A large, strong angel. The angel of the Lord in Revelation 10. And he puts his right foot on the sea, I think it is, and his left foot on the land. And he holds this book. It's the same angel that led the children of Israel through the wilderness because we know when we read about this angel he has a cloud covering his head and his feet are like pillars of fire cloud and fire remember that it's the same angel that led Moses through the wilderness and now he's coming back to lead the Joshua generation into the promised land are you getting this and he hands the book to the seventh angel and the angel gives the book to John and he eats the book and it's sweet to his mouth but bitter to his stomach and he consumes it. And that's you. God's got purposes and mysteries. His plans for the end times. Revelation like we've never seen before. And he's about to give it to his church to consume. So instead of reading the Bible and it's all mumbo jumbo, oh, this is boring, we are about to unlock the scriptures and see things that we've never seen before. We're about to see mysteries we've never seen before. You see, the problem is that people grab the Bible and they want to read it like a textbook. And they go, this is stupid, this is boring. You see, it's for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. This book carries the mysteries of the kingdom. Nothing can be added or taken away, but we've only scraped the surface as to what is in the Scriptures. We're about to see all of God's purpose unlocked in the Scripture. It's about to come to life, alive to those who desire it. It's going to be sweet to our mouth, but bitter to our stomach. Because when the angel cried out, seven thunders went out as he cried. We know thunders are a picture of judgment. And God's about to judge the enemy. The walls are about to come down. As you eat this book, it's going to be sweet to your mouth, but bitter to your stomach. It's going to be sweet as you begin to get the revelation of God's end time purpose. But it's going to bring a lot of turmoil on planet Earth. As God turns everything upside down. This is the hour that we're in. This is the Joshua generation. This is the acceleration of the purposes of God. And so I'm asking the church to get a revelation of what God is doing right now. This is the day that you live in. And you can stay on the first level, which is what Jesus did for me, and it's wonderful. We should always celebrate that. He is the Lamb of God. The one, only one worthy. But there's a second level, which is, I begin to discover who he's made me to be. He heals my soul. I get a revelation of the Father heart of God. But then there's a third level when I begin to see the purposes of God. That we're in the seventh day where there's an acceleration and he's looking for 
those who would sound the trumpet, that would prophesy his purposes, that would get revelations of the mysteries of the kingdom, who would get a revelation of the third day church where he wants to prosper people. He wants to bring in the wealth of the nations to the church. We're not going out with a whimper. We're going out as the mighty bride of Christ. It will be glorious and spectacular as you see the church arise in this final hour. And all he's saying is, are you ready to accelerate? Have you discerned the time, the seasons, and are you ready to run? And for those who have ears to hear, all we have to say is, okay, Lord, I've discerned the time. Begin to speak to me. Show me things to come. Cause me to see the things that you have written in heaven for this time. I will be faithful in proclaiming it. I will be that third day church that rises up in prominence and acceleration. Do it in me. Do you have that heart today? God's about to speed things up. And you have three choices. Go to heaven now, fall away, or get with him. Oh, I want to run with him in this hour. It's the Joshua generation. It's the seventh day where we circle the enemy and the walls will come down. And some of you have looked at the mountains. We've talked about government, media, business. And the enemy is saying to you, it can never change. I'm about to tell you something that's about to change. That the enemy is being suffocated. And the walls will come down with a shout. With the trumpet prophesy. And the shout is when the church comes together in unity of purpose. And they will let out a sound and the walls will come down. I have no doubt. Give him a hand today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So we say yes to you, Lord. Yes to your purpose. Yes to your plan. Yes to your destiny for us. Thank you, Lord, that we live in the appointed time with destiny. And right now, wherever you are, if you've never today given your life to Jesus. And I don't mean do you believe that Jesus existed, but have you ever asked Jesus? This is a question. Have you asked him to come into your life? Have you asked him to forgive you? Have you received the work that he did for you on Calvary? Is he your Lord and Savior? If you've never asked him in, this is the day to do it. How do you do it? The Bible says if we believe in our hearts and we confess him with our mouth. We shall be saved. That's the power of the gospel. And if you've never done that today, you can do that wherever you sit. What I'm going to ask you to do, just as every eye is closed, just so we can give people their time with God. So it's between you and him. If you've never asked Jesus to come in and you feel God stirring your heart, often when you hear the Holy Ghost, there's a stirring within us. There's like a tugging, a pulling. If you've never done that, you can do that today. And I just ask that you would raise your hand and I'll pray for you wherever you sit. Say, yes, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. If you've never done that, raise your hand right now. I sense that there's at least somebody that's never done that. I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you where you sit. But you see, the Bible says that when he knocks on our, on our heart, we need to respond. And if you've never done that, do it today. You've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. The Bible says when he comes into our heart, he'll bring eternal life, bring purpose and meaning to our hearts. So if you've never done that, why don't you just quickly raise your hand. I'll see it. Thank you. Is there anybody else? You've never done that. Just quickly. Thank you, Lord. Is there anyone else you've never asked Jesus in and you'd like to do that today? Father, I thank you for those, the one that's raised their hand and for, or even for those that wanted to, but maybe they felt embarrassed. You see our hearts. And I pray for those that respond to you today for salvation, that you would come in and make your home in their heart. Forgive them of this sin and cleanse them. So we ask, Lord Jesus, every one of us, that you would be Lord of our lives. We receive your wonderful forgiveness of sin. We thank you that you draw us into your kingdom for such a time as this. 
And I pray, Lord, for everyone else, Lord, who I assume are believers in you, that you would give them a revelation of the hour that they are in. I just take authority right now over every lie of the enemy that would seduce people into misreading the day that they live in. And I ask, Father, there would come such a revelation of this Kairos moment, this moment in time of acceleration that we live in. So I'm asking, Father, for a supernatural increase of revelation, of understanding, of momentum in every life right now. Why don't you just lift your hands where you sit. And I impart to you this day momentum and increase and acceleration in this day of destiny. Father, quicken your people by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray right now that there will be an impartation of grace for this hour upon your people, that you would awaken every person, Lord, from our slumber and sleep and cause us to see the hour that we are in. You are more than able in this hour. So I pray for supernatural multiplication and increase and effectiveness and fruitfulness. And through our lives, Lord, strangle the purposes of the enemy. And through our lives, Father, bring vindication for the generations that have preceded us. Lord, we just believe that this is our finest hour. And we thank you for that. Lord, as we leave this place... And we go to the east, the west, the north, the south. We are so conscious that we carry the kingdom of God within us. And everywhere we go, Lord, we claim the land is yours. Every place we put our foot on, we say, let the kingdom come in great power. Through our lives, save people this week. Extend kindness and the kingdom to people, Lord. Through our lives, bring victory and prosperity. Wherever we go, Lord, that we would be like those shining stars. Use us this week in such a powerful way. Build your kingdom through this church in this great city. And I pray for everyone listening on podcast or through YouTube, Lord, whatever the means, that wherever they are, whatever country they may be in, let there be a supernatural impartation of grace upon their lives wherever they hear the sound of this word. And we say, let there be an acceleration this day in their hearts and lives. I'm releasing this day the spirit of revelation and wisdom and knowledge of the kingdom. Let there be an upgrade in the name of Jesus over their minds. I declare that you have the mind of Christ and you are coming into your finest hour, says the Lord God. I speak over you, breakthrough, every wall of resistance that's resisted you and your previous generations. We prophesy this day that you are coming down in the name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father. We thank you for what you're doing for your body right across the world. This is our finest hour. And we give you all the glory and the praise in the name of Jesus.